Punk Theology. This is Season 2, Episode 15. Question, at what point do we realize that what we thought was safe, rock-solid, and secure, maybe not so much? I'm reminded of the old fairy tale, The Three Little Pigs, right? The house of straw, the house of wood, the house of brick. What happens when we suspect the house of bricks may be actually a house of straw? Good news and safe places. That's the title of this episode. Punktheology.com That song that we just kind of came into this uh, episode with is by is by uh, the Unband, and it's called Pink Slim. So we're we're kicking off this show. A salute to a longtime listener, Yasmin from Switzerland. There you go. Love that. Had a rough go of things the last couple of weeks. So yeah, she has had a rough go of things. We're here to support so yeah, we're here to support her, and we're here to say, hey, you know, we love you. And, Lots of uh, love, Yasmin. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that acronym anymore, Russ. <laughs> Facebook uh, Punk Theology book. Pub on Facebook. Uh, she's on there, and we have a Facebook page, and we talk about shit. So anyway, Derek, safe corrupted spaces. Good news. Yeah. So I thought I'd. Leave this off by talking about... So I've been doing EMDR. It's come up on a couple episodes already. Yeah. Uh, and I had uh, an ep- uh, session uh, was three weeks ago now, I think, mm. where uh, I encountered... Your monster child. Mo- this, yeah. <laughs> this is a different monster child. Okay. Um, in that, uh, And it got really, really dark really fast. And the whole... So the session itself was pretty dark. So what happened is I did the EMDR session. It was pretty dark. Two days later, which is when EMDR really starts to catch up with me typically, which is, I'm kind of learning, which is kind of scary because I did it yesterday, so that means tomorrow could be a bad day. <laughs> um, the whole, I woke up in the morning. I, I, we have a group chat that we do, and I just texted you guys and was like, like I'm just off. Like everything's off. I had this long conference I had to be at all day. And, like, the whole day was just super, super dark. Uh, and in that previous EMDR session, we'd worked on establishing my safe place. So we'd made this imaginary, it's almost like an imaginary, you know, mind palace type of thing where you go, yeah. where you can be safe when scary stuff happens. Um, and it's a place when, you know, as you're doing EMDR and exploring new things, that you can go and be safe. Uh, and and she had, my therapist had told me to spend some time in there, um, work on on establishing that some more uh so i was kind of sitting in my in my thing at work all day trying to go there and the whole thing just felt super dark and corrupted so i'd had this really lush 
like so I have this my my safe place is a steam room uh, that I sit in and then through the window so the whole front of the steam room is a window and through that is like this really nice lush like pond area it's surrounded on on all walls by a big cliff that goes up and then the waterfall comes down in the background it's really nice mm. uh, and that whole day I just kept getting images of like like fake putt-putt golf grass like everything was fucking plastic and it smelled like plastic and just dirty right like a like grass that had been walked over right. plastic grass that had been walked over for 20 years and right. just gross and like a shitty putt-putt bar in vegas or, right you exactly. know reno Fucking Reno. Fucking Reno. <laughs> where there's, <laughs> there's ashes ground <laughs> into it. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and drinks have been spilled on it yeah. for 20 years. Old McDonald's french fries yeah. that are three years old. Drunks are puking on it all the time. Yeah, it was like that. Like yeah. like the whole day. And then there was this, just this thing uh, and back and behind me the whole day. Uh, and then I went home and this stuff just... It's a kind of involved story, but basically over time, I some, something caught up with me, uh, and I ended up having a panic attack, um, really bad. And at work? No, this was at home. At home. Uh, it was it was at midnight on a full moon, which right. my wife my wife always talks about full moons. So I think it's bullshit, but I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> my mom worked in the ER for years and would say every full moon, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, so midnight on a full moon, and and I never had a real panic attack before i had things that were panicky and i felt kind of out of control but this was fucking this was that was this is a real deal so my my fingers just went completely numb uh and i just cried uncontrollably for like 20 minutes uh, misha was there to help unfortunately her brother used to have panic attacks and so she was able to kind of walk me through it a little bit. but uh, And then I kept trying to go back to my safe place, and my safe place was completely corrupted. Like, like burned to the ground. Like, this this is... And there was something horrific about that that made this... So the safe place turned into something that was just so much darker than if I hadn't... It felt like it was so much darker than if I hadn't made it to begin with. Because I'd set this place up to be someplace that I could go to be safe. And and like that's where the corruption was coming from was it from inside my safe place mm-hmm. and it was behind me and I was kept trying to go places in there to escape and this thing that showed up was just like no I am you like you can't, can't you're not going to run from me like there's lots of external stuff that maybe would have worked if you had gone here um, that you could protect yourself from but this is you this is you can't hide in a panic room from yourself right exactly yes when you mm-hmm. are the when you are the fucking murderer, panic rooms aren't very helpful. Um, so I just thought that would be an interesting topic because I think it comes up a lot in this yeah. group in general, but not something we specifically addressed. Really, you know, the church is a big one, right? When the church stops working for you, it feels like a like it used to be a place of solace and comfort and a place you could run to be safe, and then all of a sudden your trauma is coming from the church, yeah. and you don't... Like, that was... And your impulse is to go back to the church like everything inside of you is screaming go to the church and it's like that's where that's where the shit's coming from mm-hmm. you read some of these cases of you know sexual abuse and right and you know the Willow Creek thing and having Benjamin Wheeler on the show and all the people that oh we're just going to go on with this this show it's like it's systems and institutions right 
And similar to what you're talking about, Derek, I had a conversation with a friend who, and she was going through a really tough time, and and really finding solace in the church at a certain level of consciousness, where I felt like, oh no, right? Like, like in me, there's these little bells going off that are like, these people may feel safe to you now, but really they're invested in systems and institutions that are. You know they're going to protect them over you. You don't know that yet, but really they're 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 less interested in you and more interested in, in protecting that system. And that system is not so friendly to people who have baggage and are willing to talk about the baggage openly. Um, very few churches I've seen can really do that well. They're open to you talking about it if it's not current. Right. Or them, yeah. so that you get to because if you get to tell a success story that reinforces yeah. their paradigm, then that's good. But if you're telling a story where their paradigm is failing you, that is a threat to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you become dangerous or toxic or and I don't even think it's it functions at a level of consciousness where they're they're being mean on purpose as much as they're just reacting to this idea that the system, the institution, must be protected at all costs. So I have a question for you, Derek. We're kind of talking about two different things that, that model each other. One is real-world mm-hmm. places that aren't safe. Yeah. But that is dramatically different than not being safe in your own head during a panic attack. Right. Those are, while there are parallels, those are really not the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, what's the question? <laughs> which what's you want to talk about? Because I feel like you shared something very personal, and it's very easy for people to relate to the second, but the first, and, and 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 the first, but we're veering towards the second and getting off of the first. We did not spend much time on it. So, where yeah, are you wanting to spend? I'd like to hit time both processing? for sure, but um, but yeah, I I think it would be good to dive a little bit into what you're talking about too. Just the idea of being unsafe in your own head. Uh, I don't know how many of you feel like you can relate to that part of it. Uh, But especially for me, because I tend to be so intellectual, um, that panic attack was the first time since I was, I don't know, since some really early memories where I felt like I was completely out of control Mm -hmm. of my emotions and completely out of control of my head. Mm -hmm. And and, I just had nothing. Like, I can't imagine what that would have been like had I not physically been in a place that was safe. Mm. Like, if I'd been on a fucking street corner, right, and that had happened because I'd done a bunch of drugs and there's fucking dangerous people around me, like, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know that I would have come back, right? Like, that's kind of, that was the fear. Were you on the edge of sanity? Or it felt like it? Yeah, it, w- it felt like. Like, there wasn't anything there other than horror and awfulness. (laughs) Like, there wasn't that... Over a long period of time, due to my upbringing and and things, I conditioned myself to be able to turn off my emotions quickly, which kind of came back to haunt me, which is kind of why I'm doing EMDR, is to learn how to turn some of those back on. Mm -hmm. And this was, like, pure emotion, the worst kind of pure emotion, and that that safety switch that I've been able to access for years and years was completely out of reach, totally gone. Couldn't, couldn't access it again. And for like 20 minutes, and I'm used to being able to turn off my emotions within like an 
half a second. And that was just... But were you, though? <laughs> was I what? Turning off your emotions. Yeah. 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 yeah I don't know. Like, yeah. I can pull myself no, into, that's the, a thing. into my front of my head. That's what I mean. Okay. Like, like, I tend to get angry a lot and frustrated a lot, but that's a way to control your emotions. Right. Right. Like, that's... Yeah, yeah. Like, because the neuroscience is going to say there is no such thing as shutting off your emotions. You are an emotional creature. The fact that you can numb yourself out or turn it off, flip a switch, is an emotional reaction. It's a way to escape from the feeling that I don't like this. But it's still I got good. I got good at flipping a switch. Whether you can do it with drugs, I did it with drugs and alcohol and fucking a bunch of meth and shit like that. So, but if you can just do it inside your own brain, some Chuck has shared some of that. Yeah, that's. But I it really, is an emotional, like you're fucking doing it. You, <clears throat> you flip that switch and your emotions, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I relate to it a lot. I mean, I've, hell, as long as I can remember, I've always been able to just, like, oh, gone, go yeah, somewhere else. Yeah. Um, as far as my safe places, and I was, I'm learning that I have a lot more of them than just one. Safe places? Yeah, I mean, it's they are just... Rambid, you know, to go somewhere, it's like, what in the hell? Like, do you obsess? You're like the FBI, you've got safe houses all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's when, when I did White Raven in a couple weeks ago, um, I went to one and I didn't even realize I was there either. It was, it was really weird. Um, I was processing about, I think it was my mother or just like female tendencies or just that nurturing aspect nurturing, of thing. Um, and I was just bawling my eyes out. I had a really bad dream the night before and it felt like it was, I had remembered something when I was a baby. And so I'm processing this and I just, I left and I'm watching this ballerina like twirl around in this kind of darker box, like a girl's, um, music box. You know, you Mm -hmm. open it up and the ballerina spins around. Um, the woman that was helping me, uh, Brenda, she's like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in my, I'm dancing. It's like, what? Like, I didn't even know this place existed, you know, just, um, but I think though that portions of it is why there's so many is they maybe potentially start to, started to get tainted. It's Mm. like, oh, I want to keep this safe. Let's make a new one. Right. Mm. And then that starts to get tainted and it's, Oh, let's keep that safe. Make a new one. Trying to contain the contagion, basically. Like, yeah. Like, Continue quarantine that it. one, but kind of keep it close to safe. And yeah. Or it's just, they're safe places that I made when I was certain ages. Yeah. Because right? I've all been different ages whenever I've... Do you think you habitually and kind of obsessively make safe spaces? Yeah. Do you think that there's an affiliation when you go to them that... Uh, it's associated with what you're running from at the time? Now? It feels like it is. I mean, it's when... So when Derek and I did our our sit... Oh, <laughs> I like want to just choke even thinking about it. Um, like, I... Yeah, like, it, it was very real. You know, it's today. This shit happened a long time ago. So, my... Sometimes those two collide too, the, the, the physical, physical and, and the mental. But mm-hmm. my my wife went through a long bout of, of postpartum depression. Um, most people think it's like a few months, and it usually is. 
Um, my wife had nine years of it, um, and it got to pretty dramatic levels where um, she would have panic attacks. Um, I don't know if she identified them as that at the time, um, but they were self-harm inflicting, um, rocking, shaking, tracing lines on things, um, just really odd, like neuro expressions of, of the storm that was raging in her own head um, and it was it was really hard to work through um, especially as someone who wasn't trained and, and trying to care for um, because I, I you know I was pretty clawing in the dark and, and trying to make her feel comfortable but at the same time like it just often it felt like there was no way in from the outside um, and a lot of that, too, was because um, some of the things that had built up in our relationship made it so that she couldn't hear my attempts at helping. Mm, um, yeah. they, were, they were twisted in her own head to where that she, she just turned it against me and always told me I was making things worse. Um, and that, that, that got really bad, um, so much to where it was... It was it was witnessed by other people, which was kind of a reality check for me because for a while I just thought like I wasn't trying hard enough and I wasn't doing the right things and I needed to learn more. And, and, um, but then when, when like there were other witnesses who we had brought in as, as kind of like counsel and help and, and they affirmed like, yeah, that, that's not what I'm saying, what you're repeating back and that's not what his intent is. And, you know, it was all being... Looking at it now, I mean, it's clear it's all being filtered through the the panic that she was in and the emotional distress. Um, but it was through a filter that we created in our relationship. I mean, we, you know, it didn't occur in a, in a vacuum. Right. Um, but I mean, it did get so bad that I had to give up. Um, I couldn't be her source of comfort and strength, and I, I because it was futile. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going insane trying to do something that was always resulting in the opposite of what I was trying to accomplish. Um, but I think the, the difficult thing with that is that it lasted so long, and I think people get tired of being there. Um, and I'm glad you guys are pursuing that help aggressively now. Because it doesn't just get better. <laughs> no. what, Maybe it does. I don't know. But it, but, it, but it can just continue to get worse. It can snowball. Yeah. And get to a place that's really dark. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's how people end up in a place to commit suicide. But I, Yeah, the pain in the dark. I can't relate to that. Heavy. Yeah. Um, how people get there because I've never been there. But they got to get there some way. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So one of the things that I, I had an EMDR session again on uh, yesterday, and one of the things I talked about is just, like the point of doing EMDR is to help relax some of that dissociation that just kicks in automatically. And now I'm finding like it's starting to work, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> I would like that. I would like that dissociation back, please. Yes. Like there's definitely moments of like, uh, it felt... You know, it, it was miserable and numb, and I was depressed all the time. 
uh, but at least it wasn't <laughs> painful. Right. Uh, and I, at least I felt like I had, there's, there's a sense of pride in the control I had. Yeah. And that's a part of my identity of like, like it doesn't matter what the fuck happens. I can be calm and cool and take a step back and not feel any of this shit and just deal with what's happening right now. And that makes me a superhero in mm. some way, right? It does. does that feel stolen from you? Uh, or lost, if not stolen? It, it feels very unsafe. That's mm. what it feels like. It feels super unsafe. Mine feels less of, like I'm less of a man now. Less of a man. Yeah, like it's it's a weird. <clears throat> it the um, I can't think of the word I want to use. Macho. No, it just it. WWE. It doesn't really make sense to me why I go there, but that's just the feeling I have. So it's I'm in a discussion. It's not even an argument, just a discussion, like work related, and I feel like I can like I'm going to start becoming emotional. And I can't just stay calm and have this discussion. And I just, for some reason, I just, like, I'm not, like, I'm just not a good man anymore. Or something like emasculating not. about it or yeah. something. And is, that, is that because your view of what masculinity is is bullshit? Probably. I mean, I think, what, I think yeah. what American males have been struggling with for the better part of... 80 years is the traumatized World War II men who came back, shut down all their emotion, lived through the quote, you know, golden age of the 50s as the, as the middle-aged men of, you know, and parents and kind of gave that off as, here's what men look like now. It was all bullshit. Yeah. It was all a result of them shutting down because they experienced, you know, the worst war in human history that or at least in recent human history. It's the greatest generation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's... The stunt, emotionally stunted. Yeah. And then, and then you know, it made, it made strong men on the surface who were just scared little boys on the inside. Yep. You know? Yeah. That, that was me for a long time. Just trying to be Mr. Macho. Like, I'll fight anybody. I've had my jaw broke and wired shut. I mean... Just trying to be, but very scared, fucking little kid on the inside, you know. But I was the man, right? Don't fuck with me. Uh, something you guys said, you and Chuck said about the safe space, and so both <laughs> both in EMDR. So I created a safe space in EMDR as well. And I remember there was a couple of sessions, one with Amy and one with uh, my therapist, where I'm doing EMDR now, where. We're closing the session and, you know, okay, go back to your safe space. You know, you've locked all that shit away and you're back in your safe space and you're breathing and, and the safe space is cool, right? Like, everything's good. And I'm like, I hear laughing, right? So I'm in my safe space and it's all nice and comfortable and warm and it's like a cabin in the woods and the fire's going and it's all... And I hear this demonic laughter. And I think this is where maybe that spirit guide kind of character comes in because I'm in the session, right, while this is happening. And she says, uh, where's Leo? So, so my friend Leo, who, who passed away years ago, he's like this kind of angel creature in my EMDR sessions who guards my, my shit locker, right? And I go, oh, yeah, Leo. And then fucking Leo shows up and grabs this fucking weird monster, right, out of the, out of the place behind some fucking 
furniture or something like that. Like he was hiding and just laughing at me. He's like, come here. And he fucking puts it under his shoulder and leaves, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I did that, right? Did I do that? Or that's what the mystical part is. Did I do that? Did love do that? What the fuck did that? Same with Amy. Yeah, well, same with Amy. Uh, uh, Amy and Seth, I'm closing kind of a session and, you know, you're, everything's warm, everything's nice. And no, like there's fucking dogs growling just off in the distance. And it well, look over there. What's over there? It's dark. I can't see. And Seth's like, you got a red glowing fucking light in your right hand. Like, oh shit, and boom, I could see these dogs and they're all snarling at me and they fucking take off and run. Stuff like that. But those things happened while I was in it, right? And then I was able to kind of close the session. It it didn't come up. But last night I had a dream that was really fucking weird, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of close. I had an email from a listener really recently. I'm, I'll share this really quickly. Um, uh, uh, who just went through a shit ton of trauma relationally his wife left him uh kids you know and he's like how do i he's like russ how do i submit to god that was his question uh and you get into the religious aspect of this and gospel and how do we define safe spaces and prayer and when that shit isn't working then where (laughs) you go right well, that's getting to the end of your. That's an interesting that's question. question. It's hilarious. It's an interesting question. Like, because um, I I can relate to both streams of this conversation that Arthur was explaining, or sort of at the beginning, where I've also struggled to find safe places in therapy because of contamination. No matter where you go, there you are. So, why Kirby yeah. Enthusiasm is one of the greatest comedies because Larry David is this successful, affluent person but he's miserable and neurotic because he's him you know you could yeah, yeah. he could be rich and successful but if you're you it doesn't matter um so but what i was going to say is is the second one what you're describing and derek touched on it is my previous iteration of christianity i think really really hurt me it really traumatized me and my proclivity was to well dismantle it figure it out and I'd done some studying and some research. and also into just, the Bible just, and just figure it out. Right? Well, for, for me, it was more about history, tradition, trying to find roots. Because whatever, you have the Bible, but that was my critique and also a lot of people's critique of Protestantism. It's an evangelicalism. No disrespect to anyone who's evangelical, but I mean, it's just a matter of fact that it, it's not really tied to a lot of history or tradition. Chances are if you belong to a denomination, it's relatively young, uh, even if it's a mainline denomination, it's probably 100, 200 years old. Um, I mean, the Reformation's only going back 500 years. This is relatively young stuff. So I wanted something with roots, because I wanted safety, I wanted comfort, and I found myself in the Orthodox Church. And I like a lot of things about Eastern Christianity, but it's really not given me the comfort and the kind of grounding that I hoped it would. And that's really been difficult for me because I was really hoping that it would. And what happens, I think, in my experience, uh, the people have experienced something similar to what I'm describing, or Derek mentioned, there's that proclivity to go back to church, you know, because, I don't know, we were raised that way or it's ingrained in us or whatever. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be close to God or, or and oh, or do you do that way? You go to church or whatever. Is There's so much gaslighting like just intrinsically built in these struggles because if church isn't safe well there's no perfect church 
I mean, <laughs> you know, it's well, is it perfection I'm looking for? I mean, I just want to feel safe. I, I want to feel understood. I, I want to feel like I can be myself. Well, you know, there's there's no perfect church. There's just right. well, isn't it? Isn't it a desire to be loved? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. As you truly are, so, yeah, as you truly as are, as you truly are, yeah. be your, your true self without yes. pretense. Yeah, right. I would say so. That would be my safe space to be a place where I could be loved and be known, or known and loved. Because I think if I'm known, that will disqualify some love. Oh, really? Because like if they really knew? If they really knew my dark side, you yeah. know what I'm, what I'm capable of. Yeah. Is I that think, enough? Just what to be loved and known. Does that work in a panic attack? No. Well, so we're talking about two different things again. Well, it it it, it, it touches on something similar though, because because I to, to to your question, that's actually been one of my struggles with my personal mental health journey. Is I think I have a circumstantially good life. I think that I'm loved and known and understood. But if I don't love myself, and if I'm mm-hmm. not at peace with myself, then you know, yeah, where do you go from there? Yeah. So I, th- I think I, it's a question I've been asking just sort of in, in, in my own head is, is I, I wonder, and this is just a question, I, it, it's not well formulated, I don't have an answer for it, but it's just, I, I wonder if for some people religion stops working, typically in midlife probably, if your faith construct stops working, it's, if there is a God, it, it could be because maybe God wants you to love yourself. You know, like learn how to do that. Maybe, maybe that's the work of the second stage of life. Is, is if there's a God to love the one that God loves. You, you know, because right. you love your all these other things. You love all these other people. You say you love God, but is there a lot of self-loathing in that? Is there a lot of trying to escape yourself in that? Um, I don't know. It's just been a question I, I've been asking because, yeah, I think you need to learn how to love yourself. And I'm not saying that like in some Oprahified woo-woo sort of way. I mean. Maybe you could go there with it, but Oprahified, that's a good word. But 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 there is that thing though, is is, is there's all that self loathing and, and how do you learn how to love yourself as you really are, warts and all, your shadow side, your proclivities for destruction, addiction, darkness, whatever. Mm-hmm. Can you love that? So no, I, I don't love that part about myself. That part of myself needs to be saved. Well, okay, sure. But that's you though. And can you love yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh can you love the smell of your own shit? And most of us don't. Yeah. And and I think that's probably the work in, in a spiritual sense. So, Derek, in the midst of your attack, what was the comforting? Was it Misha being there? Yeah, I think that was mostly what helped, yeah. was Misha being there. Uh, and to your point, Steve, the whole... Like, I think that is everybody's desire is to have somebody else, mm-hmm. not just yourself, but somebody else love you... To that point where nothing else matters, they're in it for whatever. Unconditional. Yes, and the dark reality of where we live is that doesn't really exist as well as we can imagine it. Mm. And so we're forced to run to our imagination right. of God, mm-hmm. which is like the only way from this concept of use a match. Right? <laughs> As I light my cigar with, with a blowtorch. Blow so, uh, go ahead. This concept of God 
<laughs> train wrecks <laughs> every <laughs> fucking time. No, it's okay. It's going to get back on the rails. I'm still in this. No, I'm in the rails. Um, so, uh, this thing that you have in your head that tells you this standard of what love looks like mm. only exists in your head. And every time you try and make it manifest itself in reality, it's just Lots. not quite right. Sure, yeah. So the answer is, and now what religion is offering, is you have to do it through imagination. So it's an imagination problem. You have to address it through imagination. That's where you end up with God. Is You have to imagine something that fulfills the love that only exists in your head. God, I agree, I agree with you philosophically, but it's so unsatisfying. Uh, so I, I, think the other, I think the other side of that, though, is that it comes from a place of... <clears throat> I think for a lot of people, they're, they feel unlovable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a poverty of being there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if anybody tries to claim that everybody's lovable, they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Again, mm-hmm. reality says... Like, Everyone's you just, It's just mm-hmm. not possible to be... It. Felt as loved because yeah because because when it really comes down to it the thing we're all trying to ignore is that there are things about me that aren't all that lovable and if I was faced with myself physically in the flesh it would be really hard for me to love that person as much just because there's annoying shit about them and they get in the way of my desire to be loved and that other person that you're sitting with has the same desire to be loved unconditionally and sometimes it kind of sucks to be to have to put up with other people's real shit and sit for a moment and love them when they're kind of an asshole and yeah. and they annoy the fuck out of you and their shit's rubbing up against your shit and it's this constant wrestling match in every relationship of well it's my turn to feel loved yeah. I mean I think there's extremes where you know the serial killer and the pedophile are Difficult to love at best, and at worst, maybe impossible. But then there's there's the other side where if someone is so unable to love themselves at all, they're also hard to be loved from the outside. Because if you yeah, if you shut yourself off and and treat yourself so badly, it's difficult to see what is lovable when that's all you're emoting when you're in the midst of depression and and wrestling with trauma um you know if you were in your panic attack state six hours a day every day you'd be a very difficult person to love (laughs) yeah (laughs) well that's the thing about ego too and i see the world in layers and so when the ego is full-blown id you're just trying to survive man and it doesn't matter about love or anybody else it's just i need to survive in this moment so much of my life has been dedicated to trying to create a personality for myself that is lovable. Mm-hmm. And then when people yeah. love that, feeling gross about myself because it's not me. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. fucking trap myself. But so much effort went into creating this persona that people are attracted to and like hanging out with. And yet, I'm filled with this emptiness when I'm around them sometimes because it's like wow it's kind of it's a mask that you like it's not really me mm-hmm. do you still do that? why are you not oh, married yeah. to authenticity? what? why are you not married to authenticity? why don't I like being authentic? yeah because the most painful moments in my life were when I was authentic mm. the most painful moments and it's not even close 
Well, that's so, why you need safe spaces, right? Like, when we talk about safe spaces. Because you can't just be authentic around everyone, right? That's like that behind-the-counter analogy. Like, some people, you what know, about let everyone times? behind the counter. That's What about that's the times when you were most loved? There's a cloud over it. Yeah. Of, like... Of again, second guessing myself. That's that. So there's this personality that showed up recently in my EMDR session, and it's a uh, between 12 and 14 year old female. It's the first person that showed up that's female, and she obsessive. She is obsessively pessimistic, and everything positive that comes in, mm-hmm. she she hates the fact that she does it, but everything that comes in, she picks it up and flips it and says, "See, it's actually dark." Every single time. So in the very best situations, I'll enjoy it for a moment, and it'll be wonderful. And if I can hold her at bay for 15, 20, 30 seconds, it's awesome. And then, and, then, and again, she fucking hates that she does this. She hates it so much, but she can't stop herself. And she says, yeah, but see how that's super dark. That's huh. how everything is. Uh-huh. That's why non-dual thinking is powerful. Yeah. When you can hold... Both halves of that, yeah, and and the contradicting feelings about that. You can affirm her, and you can say, "Yeah, you're right." Like, there's an element to that that's that's dark. Mm-hmm. But I, I I hold it both. I hold both sides of that coin, and it's gonna. It, it, I think that would diffuse that, but it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that if you demand only the good side. Right. And, <laughs> and it's right. honestly been super helpful creating that personality. And she has a look. Her name is Wednesday Adams, right? Uh, and uh, and being because it's easier for me to love her when she's a personality than it is if it's just part of myself. And eventually, I hope to get to the spot where I can reintegrate that, and that feels like me loving myself. Mm. But for now, just just having a place that that comes from, being a person, is so helpful. Um, yeah, it's been that's been a huge step, and we spent a, in my last session we spent a lot of time talking to her. So that's the integration, I think, is like what you're talking about, right? That breaking the dualistic, I've got to have both. But it is frustrating. Yeah, you said something, Chuck, that I was curious about. You were saying, but we're talking about two different things earlier. It's like a blinking light on my dashboard. So I wanted to ask you what you meant by that when when I when you said. Uh, yeah, but we're talking about two different things. Well, just the mental and the physical. You know, it's it's one thing to open up and share <clears throat> things in your church or a group of friends, and it's another when you're struggling with that safe space in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. you're, you're not dealing with others; you're dealing with yourself. Mm-hmm. Just multiple different parts of yourself. Right. Because if so you if you were really confident in yourself you wouldn't give a shit about what's going on no it's just think, the just the knowing and being loved doesn't help me in mm. that aspect i'm dealing with myself mm. um, but that's i don't love myself either though so it's it could be that that's why i'm i struggle with that is because i'm tainted with the fact that i have issues right but aren't they connected or you loving me and me loving myself because you're I think as a child refusing, they would be, but I don't know if they well, would be now. I just think, for me, I mean, I'm just putting myself there. 
I struggle to believe you'd really love me because I know that I struggle below myself. I guess I don't even entertain the idea of you struggling or me struggling to for you to love me. I know that I could do something so you won't. And so it's never I'm gonna Yeah, know. that is, and I'm <laughs> the same way. No, I and I, I, I know I mean it's I don't even entertain the idea of that there's unconditional love. Yeah, and that's what my 14-year-old girl says constantly. Right. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, my standards are pretty high, though. Like, just, you know, don't, like, hurt any... Don't hurt, like, my wife or my kids, or... You know, don't be an that's, asshole. that's like, the relationship. Like, but the 14-year-old girl says... <laughs> the 14-year-old girl in my head hears you say that, and is like, I bet you I could find a way. Uh, well, like, sure you like, could. Like, there's... There's shit. That I well, and that's a part of me says, and I wouldn't even have to exert ten percent. Right. And it's I don't know if it's yeah I don't know if they're the same. I, I mean I've even said that about marriage. You know, it's like there's stuff my wife could do that would probably like really I don't know like right. <laughs> I mean. But what if that's part that 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 unconditional love thing? So, and and the girl who's addressing that, it's like love and relationship. You know, that's how I see God or the Trinity. That's my weird definition of the gospel according to Russ, okay, is that what if love exists in the realm of relationship? It's like a fire. So if you do shitty things, you're just pissing on the fire. You know, love is the fire that keeps us warm. Relationship is the fuel. Yeah, but then there's a reality that sometimes love just breaks. Does it? Or do we, is it because our our fucking ego is trying to survive, so we end up pissing on the fire because we're trying to just I think reality just dictates that sometimes love just breaks. Yeah. That's what getting your heart broken is. Well, what what is then we get the definition of love? Because then, is love just affection? I don't think love is affection. I think affection is... I think there gets a point in many relationships where it's just like, this isn't worth the effort anymore. Right. And but I've, I've also had conversations with people about that. Like, fuck, fuck that. Like, people say, I fell out of love. No, you fell out of affection. That's not love. You just quit fucking fueling the fire. I think, but there's that's a falling out of love. Well, that's falling out of love. Yeah. You're, you're just trying stop. to define it your way. If, yeah, if you're no, stop. no, I fell out of love, I stopped fueling it. And I stopped fueling you it stopped for fueling the affection. I would disagree. I think affection is, 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 a, is a byproduct of fueling love. Love exists whether we're affectionate or not. Well, but but uh, but to to rein it in a little, that Arthur and I have had some interesting conversations over the past few months about this very thing, albeit in a different form. But uh, okay, I'll just go with it. Like, if if love or relationships run their course and they don't quote last forever, they're not quote unconditional. Does that mean they're not worth having? You know, like because well because I I have this thing in me, and it was probably because I'm you know. No, I, I was conditioned to be like like a theist and a Christian and believe in things like eternity and, and an unconditional love. Or, or maybe it's a longing of the human spirit. It could be both or either. There might be overlap. But I have this thing of like, I love you, but I don't think you love me unconditionally. So our relationship might have an expiration date on it. Yeah, And that makes me sad. And that makes me like... It, friends, it's a are, over, friends right? are not friends forever. Jim. No, they're yeah, yeah. contrary to Michael and, W. And yes, yes. <laughs> and, 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 and so even though, and, and you know, why put an expiration date on it? Like, why even go there? But let's just put it out there. It's a possibility. Does that diminish that it's the not value. worth having? Because we have this thing in us that wants to live forever, that wants eternity. It, you know, maybe it's a fear of death. I, I don't know. But if 
like you eat a wonderful meal, it's not going to last forever. Do you not still enjoy the fucking meal? It, I mean, why do we want relationships? We, we have that thing where there's a cloud over it if it's not unconditional or something. Yeah, it's the, well, we've been fed that romantic line. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that, I mean, we've all been fed that about marriage from birth. Marriage is going to last. This is going to last until you die. Till death do you part. That's how it's. And I mean that. Yeah, it clearly does. If you're obedient enough, you're right. Yeah. But that's the thing about the about the abusive relationship, right? Like the one person could say, "I love this person unconditionally," but they're being abused by beat up and right. punched in the face, and a, that's not that's not relationship that's fueling the fire of love. It takes two people to keep that thing burning. But sometimes, and, and sometimes it takes the the person, the individual, to love themselves enough to go, "Ah, no, I'm out." I've been struggling this love. with this a lot recently. Or you die because I've been reflecting on a lot of relationships that I have that just ended mm-hmm. and a lot of, there's a lot of guilt on my behalf to there because mm-hmm. I had that expectation that they were going to go forever right. but the I get, you know the pragmatics of the situation were this was not you, you can extrapolate where this was heading and it wasn't it wasn't good yeah like it was mm-hmm. like it was not hard to imagine a better path without that person mm-hmm. but there's just a huge burden on me that I carry around because of that. Feeling guilty that I feel like guilty that I felt like I was do enough. No, that I was too good for them. Like that's oh. ultimately what it came down to. Is like like I have a kind of a path and a goal set out and you're a little bit of an anchor. And like when I'm really honest with myself, that's kind of where what it came down to and it makes me kind of sick. No, no it doesn't. It just makes the the fact that you're honest because the answer is always yes. The relationships are worth pursuing, even though they're going to be short term. Right. As long as I can gain from it, like eating a meal. Yes, there will it will end, but I gain from eating you want that to eat meal. Yeah. Steak forever. <laughs> it sounds yeah. great, but <laughs> that's why I love the word I mean, romance. Romance is like that. We're selfish, right? And so that's if we can see an end game where I'm going to gain from this, then. Sure, we pursue it. Well, I want to give too, but 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 at the same time, though, it's like a, a fire goes out, and that's okay. Exclusively, what's that? You want to give exclusively? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not even a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it comes down to that's not a relationship at that point. Yeah. But I do want to give. I I, I, I like the relationship and, and, and the the dance in it or whatever. I, I I like that. That's what a relationship is. But. Yeah, isn't it okay that it might burn out? But I don't want it to. That's the other right. thing, because I have that longing of, hey, you're my peeps. We're going to get old and die together, right? We're going to raise our kids together, right? I hope so, but, you know, maybe not. I don't know. It I think we're really. hardwired for relationship. Are you hardwired for it, or were you conditioned for it? Or is it both? I, I don't know. I think it's probably hardwired, because there's been lots of cases of people growing up pretty, ex- you know, not ex- excluded from relationship. And those people are... <laughs> what yeah. happens to an infant that does not bond? Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Super fucking unhealthy. Yeah. No, we are hardwired, but that does not mean we are hardwired for permanent. Right. Yeah. I mean, the reality is we fucking die. Right. We don't want it. So, yeah. so whether it's the end of life or something else that ends a relationship, they fucking end. When I was in Austin, my daughter and I were at a bar, and there was five old guys older than me. Okay, they were probably in their 70s, came in, and you could tell they were friends. They hadn't seen each other because they got up, greeted each other by a, with a hug, sat down, had a couple of beers, and the laughter and the conversation, 
And I found in myself longing for that. I think I threw that on our, our mm-hmm. page. Is this the punks when we're 20 years down the road? You know, there's another, there's a movie we watched too while we're down there called Tag. Oh, that's a fun movie. It is a great, and I was in tears at the end of the movie. And my daughter goes, Dad, are you okay? I said, yeah. I'm longing for that length of a relationship that these guys have been playing this game of tag since they were at Gonzaga Prep. Every year for the month of May. And I, I think, you know, like I said, I think we are. I think we're hardwired for relationship, and we long for relationship. I'll play tag with you for 20 years, Steve. Just I'd love to yeah. see you in 20 years, Steve. Yeah. I think we'd have to visit you at the nursing ground in 20 years. It's got to be 82. Tag's going to be tag. super easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in my hospital bed. You're in. You look good, buddy. Hang in there. But I do. I, and I think that's what hurts when they fail. Is because how long you for relationship? Well, I okay. Are we playing in the month of November? Like, <laughs> yes, yes, but there's there's friendships I had you know as recently as maybe three years ago that oh, I yeah. I was really yeah. bonded to and attached to and really couldn't imagine life without this person. And where I sit now, I, I can't imagine. What was the commonality of that person? Or, or or multiple people? Yeah, what's that? What was the common? Denominator at that time. I mean, for different people, it's different. But I, I mean, you just work things out. You're in similar spaces. Maybe you have similar questions. Um, I, you know, I've honestly thought about it with with regards to our friendships and our conversations. I love all you guys. I'll be honest. In five years from now, I don't want to be fucking sitting around talking about therapy and how fucked up I am (laughs) and and, and my trauma. So why do we do it? Well, we do because maybe we need to. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, exactly. that's where we're it at. Just right now. That's where we're at right that's now. Right that's right now. Right. That's that's that one of the reasons I don't think relationships last forever is because people change. Hmm? Now, it, but, and also wrong. some like, people don't want to go there. Like if I'm there, I'm, yeah. Some people. It's not. It's not because I'm scared. It's yeah, just yeah. more because like. And not even because like, you're selfish. It's just like like I just want to get to a place in my life where I don't need to go to therapy every week yeah. and I don't need to talk about it every week me like too. like that's a longing I have for myself yeah, you me know too. Um, and so yeah let's let's turn off the podcast and play poker or something you know like <laughs> yeah. th- th- like that would be great um, uh, yeah so so that's a thought I- I've had it doesn't right. yeah yeah like with yeah that's the, the interesting thing about relationships and being authentic and, and all of that. I don't think I could stop being authentic or yeah, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or that I would even want to be, but but it's just it doesn't need to be heavy all the time. Like like I kind of long for a lightheartedness yeah, that, yeah. that maybe I don't currently have, you mm-hmm. know? I know. Chuck, you have the talking stick. Both of them. I have two talking sticks. Does that does that make sense? I wasn't you guys? listening. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're, gonna have some we're not friends anymore. <laughs> we're gonna run out of things we're gonna talk about. John. It's conditional. <laughs> I hope we're not friends anymore because I want to get past this shitty place in my life where I need you. Is, is, is that is that what you is, is that what I was saying? Is that we are icons to John? We're trying to make it light, and as long as we're around, he's still unhealthy. <laughs> is that what you heard? Oh. Like, is that that's the dark? So that's the fourteen-year-old. No, that's the Wednesday Adams. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday Adams take on it. Chuck. Uh, okay, I have two 
two things because I got two Peace fucking topics. <laughs> the the first is it's been interesting over the last how long have I known you guys? A year and change or whatever. Yeah. Just like learning how, relearning how to interact with the other human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, like how to have relationships with people, how to love, how to fill in the fucking blank. You know, just I don't know. It's been a nice roller coaster. There's beautiful. That's the, that's that was one. So that was one. So the other one was in the middle of all of this. <clears throat> reminded me of when we went to your um, grandmother's. Grandmother what did we do? We had like a little retreat. What a men's, men's um, group. <laughs> oh, this is really fucking weird. I don't know if I actually shared this with you. So I smoked way too much fucking marijuana. Uh, one of the nights, and just sat in a chair for, <laughs> for hour. Really, what quiet. felt like forever. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, <laughs> like, you all right, Chuck? He just there was there was a point where and I told you, Steve, about this. There was a point where, like, I for some reason in my brain, I went to like, oh, like Steve's like my older self. Oh, John's like my near older self. Arthur's my asshole self. Russ is my drug dealer self (laughs) and then I put you Derek as like my younger self but not that much younger self how old are you I'll be 35 okay I am 35 (laughs) (laughs) he looks down on you I'm fine with that hey at least I'm not in third place (laughs) that's 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 awesome (laughs) going way back for that reference oh yeah long time sorry Um, I don't, and I I went there again. Like it was just really weird. Just my interacting with myself and listening to you guys talk. Um, It's just been really cool to learn how relationships actually work. So thanks. That's sweet. Cool. Love it. Awesome, man. Damn you. What about? Here's a question, and and, and it's to you and Steve. I'll take the stick. Pull up. <laughs> now we gotta land the plane. No, okay, we gotta land the plane. We but landed the plane and just pulled up. <laughs> we right. Well, I'm curious. This is a. It's Russ's Russ go to move. He's, he's going to land. He's a good Catholic. He likes to pull out. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> why do I have two kids? <laughs> and, uh. It's also why you have Dr. Snip. <laughs> Sucks as a I got Snip, too, so there's that. That always works. Um, Do you still pull out? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Catholic move, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to... Can we keep going down the I can tell road, stories, please? but it would be... So the podcast ended like anyway. 45 seconds ago, right? <laughs> yeah. like, no, no, no. So, so we're talking about relationships, it's interesting to me that you guys still do like Bible study, men's group stuff. It's really interesting to me too, honestly. Like, I, so, Why? Isn't there... I love poking the bear. Yeah. Do you is know? it poking the bear? Oh, yeah. I yeah. don't. I don't know how you like guys go that. to that church. I really don't. I do. Because I love. Yeah, I, I, I know that you do, but, <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. I don't. I, I just. It's weird how Derek and I mesh. We kind of came to this weird thing with AC3. Just like, ew. Like no, I can't. Like yeah, just based going. on what was going on with that. How's that going? It's been nice. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> I remembered that Derek doesn't go there anymore. Yeah. Yeah, we've been. 
Sarah sleeps in on Sunday. This ending is super coherent. Uh It's getting worse. Like, it's going to have to get axed. Like, we're working hard. (laughs) Right, right. But, but, but no, I'm curious about your relationship, your guys' relationship with those guys. Like, that's cool that you can be there and not be all triggered and get into fights with people. I'm triggered sometimes. Actually, a lot of times. And and are you able to just kind of put that out there and Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it comes out as being really bad and Mm -hmm. just like here. And do they receive that well? No. <laughs> is, is, it, is it poking a bear or beating a dead horse? Oh. No, it's, it's poking a bear because it's it bites back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, bears are <laughs> well because it's going to seek to correct us. you or something. What's that? The, 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 the bear. It's going to seek to yeah, correct you, yeah, rein you, you don't in, believe, indoctrinate because you. Because I don't agree. Believe. Yeah, it's it's a. I don't fully agree with or right. believe exactly what they believe. I mean, so there's a guy that's a complete, uh, total, um, damn, I'm really bad with words. Calvinist? No. Fundamentalist? Legalistic. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's, it's horrendous. Yeah. And I love just yeah. poking so, him. Yeah. I had a kind of a, a flip side to that, though, with regards to Chuck and Steve in particular, and with the, in the context of Russ's questions with your Ben's Bible study or whatever. If, if you guys like identify with that, um, you know, if you're ever around me, and I, I, I just I, I would hope you feel safe being as Christian or as evangelical or as Protestant as you feel, mm-hmm. like honestly. Um, like maybe you tone that down around me. Like, like I, I'm not saying you do or you don't. I'm just saying that you don't need to, you know. Because, um, I, I think but, but you act different around different people. Sometimes that sure. that, that, that that happens. Um, I mean, I I try to be who I am. I don't think I present myself as more pious around more Christian people or or vice versa, less around well, less I, Christian people. But. I enjoy it because more than half of it is just hanging around, talking, and eating and eating dinner. With these guys, we started this conversation about safety, yeah. and I think that's that, that, that's the question. Like I was going at in my mind is, are they safe? Yeah. Well, and and that's where I, I asked the question: can, can you even do it? Because in my in my mind, they wouldn't be safe for me. But that's not to say that they're not safe. Some of them are safe. It's degradations, though, too. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I can't. Not everybody's going to be as safe as yeah they, each other, right? And right. the question I ask myself is: if they're not safe for me, am I safe for me? Like, why can't I sit in that room and not be triggered and fucking, fuck you, man? Like, w- what is in me that wants mm-hmm. to, to correct to people react. or right. be triggered by some legalistic dude saying I swear too much? Are you <laughs> are you vulnerable when you engage it? So you're poking the bear, but are you, be, are you being vulnerable? Yeah, is it just antagonistic? <laughs> mm, 50-50, maybe? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, no. if, you're, if you're not being vulnerable, you don't feel safe. Just saying. No, you don't have to feel I'm, safe all the time either. You can go places that you right. don't know. Safe, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, fun. there's a huge industry oh, in doing things that sure. are safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, then then we're redefining what you're getting out of it. Right. Yeah. Well, to answer that, I think I, I am. That is my hope that I am vulnerable because. Is I can hopefully show vulnerability, then others will likewise show vulnerability and say, you know, really, I'm struggling the hell. I'm not talking about honesty, by the way. When I mean vulnerability, I mean exposing yourself when you get kicked in the balls. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But you can do that with honesty. No, you no, you can. But honesty isn't inherently that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. You can still have gates. Yeah. So hey, uh, uh, thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Peace. There we go. I know I'm around. Let's listen now to a commercial for McPeter's Funeral Parlor. And friends, your loved ones can receive no finer care than that offered by McFuneral's Peter Parlor. That's a huge bitch! Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't kick it out! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. This disc contains CD-ROM data and is not for audio use. Please press stop on your disc player now.